Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And we are here to wrap up week 13 of college baseball around the country. It was a busy weekend. There was a top five matchup in Knoxville. There was another premium SEC series. A lot happened around the ACC. Conference USA wrapped its season up. Just a lot to to get to. And, oh, by the way, the NCAA Selection Committee on Friday released its preliminary list, its short list of 20 potential host sites. Uh, We'll we'll get to that and its implications here uh, as well. Kind of inconveniently timed that we weren't able to get that in last week's preview pod. So we'll get to it here today. A lot to get to on this podcast. uh, But first, got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, like I said, busy weekend around the country. There was a top five matchup, but before we get to all of that, I just got to shout out Coach Kaz and Air Force. They're on an eight-game winning streak. I'm not going to claim credit because he came on the podcast like, like some folks do. Like, there is no Baseball America podcast bump. I'm sure, sure you can find plenty of teams that haven't uh, performed quite as well whose coaches we talked to uh, this offseason. But I remember, Joe, how excited Kaz was about this team, just about coaching Air Force in general. And they are now, with a couple weeks to go in the Mountain West season, they're like really actually in at-large consideration at this point. After a sweep of San Jose State this weekend, they've won eight in a row. Paul Skeens, their freshman catcher slash closer, is going off like he's a a freshman All-American likely uh, first-team freshman All-American, like potential All-American candidate, potential freshman of the year candidate. They've got they've got going on at the academy. Yeah, no kidding. We, we touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago and, and kind of brushed it off a little bit and said, well, if, you know, Air Force has a nice little resume, but like if they're going to, if they're going to rip off the number of wins it would take in order to put them into position to be an at-large team, that's probably enough wins to win the conference anyway. But what's also happened is that Nevada has continued to streak. And so Nevada now inside the top 30 in RPI uh, has a pretty decent resume of its own. So yeah, I mean, Mountain West has, it's broken pretty much exactly like the Mountain West would need to, to perhaps get a second team in. And I think you and I were also just a little bit, to, to your point more, more specifically, I think we were also just a little bit dubious of, okay, Air Force could win those games, but are they actually going to? Because to the, to the, the point that we talked about it a couple of weeks ago was, well, they've got a good RPI because they played a pretty tough schedule. They were one of the teams that really was able to, you know, one of the teams in the, in the Western half of the country that was able to actually get around a little bit and play some different places. And um, they're, they had had a good RPI, but they were still under 500 in the mountain West. And so I think there was a little bit of a feeling of, you know, is this real? Um, and, you know, here they go. So we'll have to, they'll have to finish strong. Cause that's the thing about the way that conference is, is there, there are some little tripwires and, and landmines and what have you. So they, they actually don't have them, though. They just have good teams. They have San Diego State and Fresno, right? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's it. And so it's not like an RPI killer. It's just a, like, oh, they're they're actually, like, 
pretty good teams. Like San Diego State's not as good as they usually are, but they're uh, they're solid. They they can uh, they definitely can can spoil this for Air Force if they're not careful. Yeah, that's I mean, and that'll be the thing for Air Force is you just need to put as much daylight as you can between the win column in the Mountain West and the loss column in the Mountain West because the closer you finish to 500 in that conference, the more the committee is able to kind of look askance at at your full resume there. But if, if Nevada and Air Force finish one, two, and let's say Nevada is the auto bid, like Air Force can be in pretty good shape. I, uh, I would agree with that. So that's a, a developing story also in Service Academy News. Army advanced to the Patriot League Championship Series where they will face Lehigh Army looking for their third straight uh, Patriot League tournament title. So potentially a couple uh, a couple service academies going dancing this this uh, this year. We'll we'll see how uh, how the season closes though. But as it is, uh, congratulations uh, to Air Force on their winning streak. Uh, all right, Joe. Let's uh, let's get to that that showdown in Knoxville. It was number one Arkansas against number five Tennessee. It was everything you would want in a top five series. Friday night was a really close game. Uh, Tennessee didn't look like it was going to be at first. Tennessee jumped out to a five, nothing lead in the first inning. Arkansas methodically chipped away at that the rest of the way. And then Kevin cops came in and they won the game uh, six to five. Then on Saturday looked like uh, Arkansas was in a bit better shape. They were up late. Usually that means Arkansas wins the game, but because cops had gone on an extended outing on Friday, they didn't have him to close out the game Saturday. Tennessee took advantage. Max Ferguson walks it off and to even the series, setting up a, a Sunday, Sunday rubber game. Arkansas comes away with that win as well to win the series. Kind of a familiar script for the Hogs. Cops comes in, gets the job done. Uh, this time his, his scoreless inning streak actually did end uh, as, as Tennessee scraped a, a run back in the, in the ninth inning there. But Arkansas wins. Arkansas wins the series. Arkansas remains number one in the top 25. Uh, they've been number one in the top 25 now for 12 straight weeks. Uh, they have yet to lose a weekend this year. I mean, you've heard it all before with Arkansas 14 and four now against teams currently ranked in the top 25 all on the road, or at least away from Bob Walker. Uh, it's uh, it just continues to be true, Joe, that Arkansas is, is rolling right along, but this, uh, this weekend was a, a really stern test from Tennessee. And if you had any lingering doubt about what the Vols could be this year, uh, hopefully that got answered uh, just by how tightly they played Arkansas, something that no other team really has. I don't think any other team has, has played Arkansas as tight as Tennessee did this weekend. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. It was a lot of things went to type here. A lot of things went kind of the way we thought they would go. You know, Tennessee won a game. I think we thought Tennessee will probably win a game in this series, especially being that it's at home. You know, Arkansas had, you know, some little hiccups with, bullpen outings, particularly in that second game, but like on balance the they had a good series in that regard. And the offense was able to, um, you know, bail them out in certain cases, especially in the first game when, you know, Wicklander gets underwater early, um, you know, the Wicklander ends up throwing two and two thirds and the bullpen was excellent behind him. So that was probably about what we expected there. What I, what we really didn't expect, and we went out of our way to, to say so in the preview episode is that the, 
you know, the finale would be a, a three, two game. I think we were thinking the finale would look a little bit like the finale in Ole Miss Vandy that we'll talk about here before too much longer. Uh, but the fact that it was a three, two game was a little bit of a, a surprise there. And we wrapped up with a really tight, well-pitched game that, you know, came down to just, you know, one or two plays here or there that I thought we'd be looking at kind of an ugly, you know, game full of haymakers on Sunday. And that's just not exactly uh, what we ended up with there. So you couldn't have asked for much more in terms of drama. It was, it was not just that the games were close. They were, it's not just, they were well played. They were, you know, the the atmosphere was incredible at Lindsey Nelson in in Tennessee. And so that, that that fan base was really up for this series, as you can understand. And so it it really made for uh, great drama just night after night. Every, every time you turn this, these games on, they were, they were delivering on giving you the type of drama you're looking for this time of year. Well, speaking of drama, the series also ended with some drama, and that was Tony Vitello and Dave Van Horn, who, you know, Tony worked under DVH for a few years as an assistant before he uh, was hired as Tennessee's head coach. The, the series ends, you know, the Hogs have won, coaches come out to, to shake hands like they always do, and all of a sudden, like, I look up, and maybe the camera cut back to them because they don't always show that, but all of a sudden, you know, I look, I look up at the TV and, and Vitello and Van Horn are really going at it. And uh, it was a pretty animated discussion. Uh, both of their media sessions post-game started with questions about that. DBH was not thrilled that that was how, uh, how his media session started. Neither one of them shed a whole lot of light on what was going on. But Vitello did say that uh, basically he he chose a poor time to bring up some off the field situation uh, to Van Horn and I guess voice his displeasure about what was going on with whatever that was. Um, maybe it was recruiting, maybe it was something else. I don't know. Uh, but there, that's, uh, that's what happened there. Uh, I personally, you know, regardless of whether that had happened or not, I would have been happy to sign up for however many more Tennessee uh, Arkansas games we can get this year in Hoover in Omaha whatever I don't care uh, just give me give me however many more the schedule wants to throw at us I'll I'll be happy to see them and then uh, you know I don't know you know the, those two guys they know each other really well I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of lingering stuff there uh, but maybe there will be maybe that'll add a little more spice if they do meet up again but I'll uh, I'll take however many more games the the college baseball world wants to wants to give us of Arkansas, Tennessee. You know, he, he didn't specify like, um, you know, some sort of bringing up some sort of off the field topic, like it doesn't have to be baseball. It could be arguing over condiments on hot dogs for all we know, like, yeah, you know, we make an assumption that, uh, you know, it's baseball related, but you know, there's, there's people have hot takes on, you know, whether or not you should catch up on <laughs> hot dogs. And so maybe it was, maybe it was something like that. Who knows, but I'm with you. I mean, I'll take, as much of this as we can get, you know, it feels like a good matchup of styles. I think is part of why this, this series went so well, you know, Tennessee's an offense that wants to strike quick and Arkansas has big arms. And sometimes you get those big arms and and guys that are, that are looking to swing to do damage. Sometimes that can make for, you know, the really interesting endings of the game. You know, I think Saturday's game is a great example where you've got Jackson Wiggins and you, you know what he's all about in terms of, of, throwing hard. And then you've got Max Ferguson in there kind of looking to do damage because they're down two and he needs to do something. And so you see the result there. So I think there's just kind of a good matchup in styles. There is, is part of it. And I think you have to look at Tennessee kind of the same way, not, not that they're not that they're the same teams necessarily, but I just mean in terms of the results they put on the field, you have to look at them. I think the same way as you do Mississippi state where 
they have the two series losses, Arkansas, Tennessee, and then, you know, everything else you, everything else you look at, they've just taken care of business time and again, and there's no shame in coming up short in those two series, certainly. Yeah, it, it is um, notable that they have played both Arkansas and Tennessee. They got them both in Knoxville. They do go just two and four against them. Played a lot of close games against those two teams, but it, it is a little hard to make an argument that Tennessee is right there. With, like, they're clearly right there with them, but at the same time, they only were able to win the two games. Uh, they very easily could have been swept this weekend by the Hogs. Uh, they also very easily could have won the series. You know, they blew a 5 nothing lead uh, in game one. And uh, game two, they get the, the tying run to the plate. So, or game three, rather. Game two, obviously, they, they were able to come back and win. So not a whole lot of separation there. But at, at the same time, two and four against the best two teams in the country is, is still two and four. Uh, especially when you do it all at home. So I, uh, I've i said it before, I would love to be able to see Tennessee play a series against Mississippi State. I'm not really sure who the third best team in the SEC is. And I mean, right now there's some shakiness in Vanderbilt. We'll get to that in a, in a few minutes here. But, uh, you know, there there, there is I, – I would just love to see Tennessee play Mississippi State, find out who's better there. But – I, I don't know how much more we can say about Arkansas, Joe. Like, they just keep doing what they're doing. They have another premium series this weekend against Florida. Uh, so if they do finish the season without uh, a series loss, uh, they're going to have to earn it again. But, you know, at, at this point, that, that, that there's just – there. what impresses me the most about Arkansas – is that there's no reliable way to beat them. There is no, there's no blueprint. They'll beat you playing their game to the extent that they even have a game, but they'll beat you playing their game and they'll beat you playing your game. They don't really care what, what they have to do. They'll come back. They'll get up early. They'll play you in a, a close, you know, pitcher's duel. They'll play you in a, in a slugfest. They don't care. They'll win. They, they feel confident in that. And to me, I mean, that's that's the scariest thing about them. If you're if you're looking at trying to beat them in a short series or an Omaha or, or whatever, it's just it, it's it's a really hard thing to do uh, for, you know, to to get two wins against that team, which is what you'll need to do in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, a couple of things are amazing about that, that, you know, you look at Arkansas's record and they're they've not had a losing weekend well, all season, of course, but in the SEC most impressively, and yet they still have eight losses because, you know, that's uh, that's how it goes in the SEC. You're very likely going to lose, you know, on average one game every series just because that's how how tough life is. You mentioned that they can kind of shapeshift to win games, and it reminds me of, obviously, I'm not uh, an expert on basketball, certainly not in the way that, that uh, in baseball, but, the, the, you know, they say with defensive players that they're great defensive players, but there, there are some defensive players you can game plan out of the game, and there are some that you can't. And the ones that can't are the ones that are the best defensive players and the ones that are really dangerous. And that's kind of Arkansas. You can't, you know, to use that metaphor, you can't really game plan your way out of winning a series with them. Um, you can't really lay out the map and, and execute in just the right way and, and get it done. Um, they're human, so, like, that could theoretically happen, but there's there's no real easy way to do it. There's no obvious way to do it. Yeah, I uh, I don't know how you would – I would go about doing it. That is uh, maybe something that I'll try and report on as uh, 
as the NCAA tournament approaches. Uh, Joe, any any final thoughts on Tennessee? I mean, I was impressed by what Blade Tidwell did on Sunday in a, in a big spot. The, the freshman delivers. He's been very good for them in that spot all season. Uh, but that was that was an impressive performance, ultimately in a losing effort. But he uh, he gave the offense a chance. They just weren't able to get anything done themselves uh, on Sunday. And, uh, you know, Max Ferguson, great game on Saturday. Uh, he kind of needed that. Uh, just uh, again, it, a lot of good performances from the Vols, just not quite enough to 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 beat the Hogs. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, saw some positive things like you liked it. You know, Max Ferguson and, and Jordan Beck to a certain degree. Maybe you don't have all of the numbers that they would have hoped to had come hoped to have had coming into the season, and yet they've they found ways to still be productive players, even if that's just kind of running into one uh, once or twice a weekend. Like that's there's certainly a lot of value in that. And you bring up Blade Tidwell, and I think it's a great name to bring up because you know Tennessee's pitching staff is in a place where if it weren't for how steady he's been in third games of series, like I think they'd be in a very different place because they are not too different from Arkansas just in terms of they're a little more steady in terms of the guys they run out there in the rotation but truly that's a team that really wants to build from the back with with Redmond Walsh and Sean Hundley and and Kirby Connell and and guys like that Um, and if it weren't for the fact that they can they can really set their watch to Tidwell giving them six or seven on Sundays like I think they might be in a different place and that they might be at the risk of being a little more overexposed in the bullpen than than they are right now because they know that they can get something from him, at least on Sundays. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, their rotation, it's not its not overpowering necessarily. You know, Dallas at the front, Tidwell at the back, it actually does have a really hard fastball. But, you know, they're, uh, they're just there to do their job. And most weekends they do it pretty well. And, and I don't think this weekend was really any uh, – any, any significant difference in that. So, you know, just it, it, they continue to be a really good team. They're going to be a, a, a top eight seed. I'm, I'm relatively certain. And uh, you know, they're uh, they got a real shot at getting back to Omaha for the first time since 2005. So uh, I, it may, it may, it, it was definitely not the the result false fans wanted, but I think there are, like you said, there are positives to take uh, from the performance. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the uh, the selection committee's shortlist of host sites. Uh, we'll get to that here in a second. But first, check this out. All right, Joe. On Friday, the selection committee released a shortlist of twenty potential host sites for regionals and super regionals. They will be picking the sixteen regional host sites from this list. You cannot host if you are not on this list, but obviously making a list of 20 does not assure that you will be one of the 16 uh, sites selected. They did this. This is obviously a deviation from the normal selection process, uh, which is typically done just the day before selection Monday. They roll out who the 16 hosts are going to be. They did it this way uh, because they this year need the host sites to set up coronavirus testing um, facilities, and they need to give them time to get those set up and get them you know tested so that they can make sure they're functioning properly. And I guess that's a multi-week process. So here we are. The 20, uh, 20 schools. On that short list are Arizona, Arkansas, Charlotte, ECU, Florida, Gonzaga, 
Louisiana Tech, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Oregon, Pitt, South Carolina, Southern Miss, Stanford, Tennessee, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, and Vanderbilt. There were, for me, two significant takeaways from that list. The first was the inclusion of Gonzaga, a team that I don't think got a ton of play as a potential host site prior to this announcement, uh, which was an oversight by collectively the the group of us that does bracketology for college baseball. Gonzaga was sitting there with the RPI to do it. Now, in the defense of me, at least, uh, they hadn't played in two weeks because of a COVID pause. Uh, so they were a little bit out of sight, out of mind, but they uh, they do have the RPI to host. They are winning the West Coast Conference. They do have a series win against TCU. Like there's there's things to like there about TCU's resume. And we did this week with them back in action, move them into the top 25 uh, for the first time since 2013. So that's that. The other thing that stood out to me, Joe, is that there are only two ACC schools on this list. We talked endlessly about what the selection committee was going to do with the ACC and its poor RPIs. And ultimately, uh, the selection committee sure seems like they just looked at the RPIs and said, wait, why are we even talking about these teams here? Have two, uh, including one team in Pitt, that uh, their RPIs backed up further since it got announced, but it already wasn't in a great hosting spot for an ACC team. Uh, so the committee kind of cut them some slack there, but they weren't willing to cut them slack to talk about teams uh, 35 plus like a Florida state or a Louisville or Georgia tech. Uh, so that that's where the ACC is with just two schools on this list. Uh, and I have more notes on that, uh, but Joe, what were your, uh, what were your takeaways from, from the, uh, the, the short list? Yeah, I think the, the big one was, the big one was, was the RPI point, because I think we can kind of extrapolate out to what that might mean from an at-large perspective. And it's no guarantee they could change course because, you know, if they want to, they can come up with other reasons why the 20 were, were chosen. Uh, but it sure does look like RPI was, was a big part of it. And so you start to have to ask some questions like, you know, uh, is Louisville a bubble team? Like their RPI is in the fifties, you know, um, that's higher than you, most ACT, ACC teams would, a normally have, but B, certainly B would feel comfortable having as an at-large potential at-large uh, number. So I think you have to start to think about stuff like that. I, I tweeted it, you know, if you're a, a team with RPI problems, like the host announcement probably did not make you feel warm and fuzzy about your chances of being an at-large team, especially if you were kind of of the mind of, well, and this would not have been a wrong thing to think, but well, you know, the RPI doesn't mean nearly as much this year, especially if you're in one of these leagues certainly the big 10 and others like that, but even the ACC that played a small number of non-conference games, like, yeah, they just, they can't lean on the RPI that heavy. Well, and, and here we are. So um, that can't make them feel great. You know um, I think there was also in related to this, there was also a little bit of a, a nod given to some of the SEC bubble hosts with Ole Miss and, and South Carolina. I'm sure that, like I said, the RPI had a role to play there, but I also think it's kind of an acknowledgement of, you know, look, they, they've got those two teams in particular have the metrics otherwise that if they finish strong, those in, in normal years are going to be host teams. And I think that was kind of an acknowledgement of that, that it looks weird that we had South Carolina, which was 12 and 12 in the SEC at the time of the announcement included, but okay, well now they're 15 and 12. They're basically, you know, another conference win and, and you know, doing something in Hoover away from having a very traditional 
albeit borderline SEC host case. So I think that was, that was notable there. And, and, you know, it's so funny that we've only had, you know, uh, one weekend of results since we found out who these 20 preliminary host sites are. And already it, it feels like we've had a decent amount of movement in terms of what we feel confident in, you know, South Carolina certainly helped itself. Um, you know, Ole Miss, who we'll talk about shortly, is kind of also in that boat. And then a team like Pitt just got swept and is really, really backsliding. And that can't be, uh, for the, from the committee standpoint, that one might actually hurt a little bit because I, I'm sure from a geographic standpoint, they would like to have Pitt. Um, you know, they, they've got teams. Well, well, let's get to that in a second. I have significant thoughts about that that mm-hmm. you know I have because we've already talked, like we're going to talk so much about that over the next few weeks. I I, I can already anticipate it. But you being Mr. Conference USA, I'm a little surprised you didn't bring this up. Let's not gloss over the fact, like, yes, it was expected, but Conference USA has three teams on this list of 20. Yeah, I guess, that, you know, and well, and if ODU had had bid, I, I wonder if it'd be four, honestly. You know, that yeah, kind of I mean, it would be hard not easier. to. They have the top, they have the best RPI. Um, I get maybe Charlotte's ahead of them still, but they, they either have the best or the second best RPI of the group. Yeah. So you wonder if that would that have bumped one of the others, I guess, Southern Miss in this case. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. We'll, we'll never know. <laughs> but um, or would it have bumped, you know, South Carolina? You know, we, we again, we'll, we'll never know. Um, no, I mean, that is a notable thing. You know, I, I guess it speaks to just how consistent that storyline has been since, I don't know, what has it been like late March when we first started to see this Conference USA thing emerge that it, 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 at this point, it's, it seems like such a such a lock that we're going to get, you know, at a bare minimum one and, and very likely two uh, conference USA hosts. It just kind of, at this point, it just kind of, you know, uh, feels like it's been a foregone conclusion for a while. And it's an easy thing to do. I think dumping three of them in here because they are going to be in a tournament with each other here in a week or so. And so I think it is an easy thing to kind of, if you're kind of, you know, on the fence about one of them, let's say it's Southern Miss, like you, you throw them all in that tournament and, well, you know, maybe the one, one of these teams goes 0-2 and it ends up missing out. And then one of these teams wins the tournament and that kind of makes it more of an obvious thing that that team hosts. So there will be some, you know, beating up here. It's kind of the theory that we put forth with the Big Ten a few weeks ago that obviously did not come to pass, which is let's throw Michigan and Nebraska or in here or Indiana and in one of those two or whatever. And let's see who ends up winning the Big Ten. And of course, they beat each other up so much that none of them are here. So uh, that's that's that. But um yeah, I mean, big big deal for Conference USA for sure. It's just we've seen this coming for so long now that it, it really didn't register to the degree that uh, that you would have thought it would. And certainly that I would have – I didn't react in the way I would have had you told me in February this is what we would end up with. Yeah, I haven't looked this up yet, but, you know, they haven't hosted – Conference USA hasn't had a host, um, you know, since, uh, since Southern Miss in 17 – um, I don't know the last time they had multiple hosts. And it, it seems like that that's very much on the table. You know, I've projected that uh, a few times in, in the projected field of 64. And now, you know, with three teams in the, in the short list, uh, it, it, it's even more on the table than, than, you know, we had previously thought. All right. Now you mentioned um, Pitt and the situation it's in. Let's, uh, I guess the the deal with that is that they had a bad RPI to begin with. They were in the low 20s or like the mid 20s maybe on Friday. 
Then they went out and got swept at home by NC State. They're now in the 40s. They are officially no different from any of the other ACC teams. You know, they're well off the pace. Uh, I shouldn't say well off the pace. They're off the pace of Georgia Tech for the division lead. They're, you know, just a 16 and 14 ACC team, just like, you know, so many other ACC teams are in that range. Um, you know, they're you know, Louisville 16 and 13. They're, they're a ton of 16 win ACC teams. Most of them have more losses than Pitt. Uh, Pitt didn't play a series. That's, that's part of why they're there just as a 16 win ACC team. But you know, they're, they are where they are. They're out of the top 25 now. The committee doesn't care about that, but they're, you know, their RPI being in the 40s, the committee sure does appear to care about that because they're now no different than Georgia Tech, um, particularly. And so it's really, really, really hard to see how Pitt could possibly host short of going on a big, big time run in the ACC tournament, which would allow it to maybe correct some of this RPI stuff or at least add an auto bid next to its name if it did finish the job and, and win the ACC tournament. The ACC is guaranteed to have no more than two hosts, though, regardless of what happens with Pitt. They, they can't have more than two hosts. They haven't had that few hosts since 2001, which is remarkable that it's been 20 years since they've only had two hosts. I don't have to like explain how many times the ACC has changed since 2001. Like It is barely recognizable. From, from the conference it was in 2001. And yet that's how long it's been since the ACC hasn't produced more than two hosts uh, for regionals. That's where they are this year, though. There are a lot of reasons why they're there. Um, but I do think Pitt actually still has a shot at hosting uh, because they, as, as you alluded to, Joe, they're conveniently geographically located. They've got that going for them. There's only one other. The, Pittsburgh is kind of on the border of the Midwest and the Northeast, I don't want to hear from anyone in Pittsburgh that thinks they're more in the Midwest or more in the Northeast, whatever. You're geographically basically on the border of the Midwest and the Northeast. There's only other one school on the shortlist that's Notre Dame that fits either of those two descriptors. So to add a second host site into that group would be, again, beneficial for the committee uh, they sometimes like to talk about how they're going to new schools for hosts and, and they feel like that helps grow the game. And uh, this would certainly be that. So I think there's a very real chance that Pitt hosts as a two seed. Um, you know, we talked about how ODU has this really good RPI among the Conference USA teams. They could very easily be a traveling one seed. And Oklahoma State was under 500 in the Big 12 when the host sites got announced. And so that's why they did not get a, they're not on the shortlist. They won this weekend against Baylor to get to 12 and 12. They're done in, uh, in conference play, uh, but they still have a top 20 RPI. They play exceedingly well at the Big 12 tournament under Josh Holiday. They've won it before under Josh Holiday. Uh, they played in Oklahoma City. Seems like a pretty significant advantage for Oklahoma State. Uh, if they go on a run there, they may well play themselves into one seed status and they could go to Pittsburgh. So I, I think that there's still a chance for Pitt to host, but I do think its chances of hosting as a one seed basically come down to maybe not losing again until Selection Monday. Like they have Wake Forest this weekend. Anything short of a sweep's not going to do. 
and then they better go win some games in Charlotte. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be a fascinating thing if, if we get to announcing the field. If, if it's if it's between, do we have Pitt host and a traveling one seed, or do we just say see a pit, let's move on to like one of these other 20 uh, that actually help themselves a little bit. And we just have them as a, as a one seed host in a more traditional sense, because, um, and you know, the committee will probably tell us, and I guess we'll take them at face value that, well, we're going to, who has the best resume? Does that old dominion win the conference USA tournament? Uh, and their RPI is now knocking on the door of the top 10 or something, or did Oklahoma state do the same thing in the big 12 and their RPI is in the top 10, because then you can make a very real argument. Well, they have the best resume. Let's give them the one seed because they deserve it. Um, you know, you could also see it going to the way where it's like, well, let's, you know, we named these 20 hosts, like, let's, you know, let's stick to that. Let's grab one of those. There's, you know, at least somewhat close to dis- this equally deserving teams in this bunch. Let's just pick from that bunch. Um, I'll be fascinated to see what they do. Maybe it doesn't come to that. Uh, but if it does, I'll be kind of interested to see the direction they go there because I think they've, they've got a couple of, of viable options. And um, I had kind of written off the idea of a traveling one seed whenever they said, well, we're going to go from 20 we're going to have 20 and then we're going to go down to 16. I, I kind of dismissed that idea just because I figured, well, a, I figured everybody who'd be in the mix would bid to host. So old dominion has thrown a little bit of a, a monkey wrench in that, but uh, you know, if I figured that first off and then second off, just because, well, you know, if any of those 20 kind of fall out of, of a position to host, they'll just four or five teams are not going to have that happen. Most of these teams, because they're good, are going to continue winning at a rate they need to, to be post. That's just the way this is going to work. Um, but maybe, I don't know, like Old Dominion has really made this a really complicated, and, and Oklahoma State, that's one that's a little sneakier, I think. But um, th- th- those two teams have made this a really kind of complicated, fascinating case study that we're going to get to see play out over the next couple of weeks. I think the other thing to note here is if Pitt, if Pitt were NC State or if Pitt were Florida State, I don't know that I'm talking about, you know, one seed or traveling one seed anymore. Pitt being geographically advantageous and, in, you know, a, a team that's never hosted before, I think does kind of change this dynamic as well, that it would be a lot easier like they can make the best of a bad situation. They mean the selection committee can make the best of two bad situations. If ODU or Oklahoma state were to force it, uh, you know, they can get a second Midwestern, Northeastern, Northern, however you want to describe that. They can get that second host. They can reward Pitt for a really good season. Even if it came up a little short uh, of, of being a true host season and they can, you know, especially in the case of ODU, which didn't bid, say like, okay, like you didn't bid, so you got to go on the road anyway. Like we didn't screw anything up here. Um, you know, you're, it, it, this had to happen. You can just do it as a one seed. Um, I, I think that would be maybe the optimal situation at this point. We'll, we'll see if it comes to that. But uh, I, I do think Pitt being Pitt is, is helping the case for, for a traveling one seed here. Um, Let's talk, though, here about a team that did help itself on the host line uh, this weekend, and that's Ole Miss. They had Vanderbilt coming into Oxford. Ole Miss, as we've talked about, has really been been fighting it for the last six weeks now, I guess. And then this week they got additional bad news, or last week they got additional bad news when 
right-hander Gunnar Hogland is revealed to need Tommy John surgery and his season is over. Ole Miss was already light on pitching and now you're removing one of the, you know, the, the Friday night starter from that group. That's uh it's a really tough thing to deal with, but the Rebs did not let it bother them this week. Uh, Doug Nikhazy went out on Friday, outdueled Kamar Rocker. Uh, they win that game. Vanderbilt comes back, wins Saturday, sets up the rubber game, and gets an early lead on Ole Miss. Uh, but again, Ole Miss not really, not really bothered, and they drop a 10 spot in the third inning. And from there, the game got kind of ugly and you know, Vanderbilt came back a little bit and Ole Miss kept scoring and it was just a really high scoring Sunday game like you see sometimes and Ole Miss is plenty capable of playing, but it was enough. Taylor Broadway, you know, finishes it off in the ninth inning and Ole Miss gets a massive series win. They uh, are now 16 and 11 in the SEC. Uh, They're 12 in RPI. Um, They know, like I had previously been concerned that they were only going to win like three sec series or something and like can't possibly host like that well you know they still might only have four sec series wins depending on what they do against georgia but i think at this point they probably have the wins that as long as they don't get swept this weekend at georgia if they go 17 and 13 even in the sec i think that's a host team and uh i i would i would really expect that to happen um you know i, I think Ole Miss is uh it's it's not what I thought Ole Miss would be. It's not the best version of Ole Miss, obviously, without Hogland, but uh, their offense is it's it's something else right now. Oh, it absolutely is, and you know, to to, to really take off right around the time Tim Elko went down with an injury is um, fantastic timing for this offense. And it's um, you know, there's an argument to be made. You know, I said on the I said on the uh, show previewing the weekend that you know statistically Ole Miss, you know, batting average wise, maybe. The, you know, best offense in the SEC. I don't think it is, but like, that's what the stats will tell you. And then you, you see what they did this weekend and you're like, well, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you know, they're certainly in the conversation, but uh, you know, this series, you know, a little bit unlike Tennessee and Arkansas, this series went about to type, you know, I, I wrote up for our roundup on Friday, Ole Miss is three to one win where Doug Nikhazy gives you like exactly what they needed from him to feel good about their chances this weekend, because if he didn't get turn in a good start and that game gets uglied up on Friday, you, you really start to feel like Ole Miss is maybe going to start taking on water. But Nikhazy was awesome on Friday night, gets them off on the, on the right foot. Um, and then, you know, okay. So lighter comes back and, oh, you know, oh, by the way, not only does lighter come back, he looks excellent. Um, looks like he never missed a beat. So he comes in and, and okay, you lose that game. Um, that means you got to win the ugly one. And that's exactly what it was. And they got it done. You mentioned that the 10 run inning there was the, the big difference, but that pretty much, you know, if you were to draw up an Ole Miss series win for the weekend, I think that's pretty much exactly how you think it goes. You know, Nikhazy pitches you to a win and one, and then the other, you win an ugly game. And there it was, um, you know, for Vanderbilt, you know, you start to, you see this team as being pretty, pretty mortal. We've talked about the weaknesses on, on Sundays, but it's not just that it's also that, you know, Rocker didn't throw the ball poorly on Friday, um, but he, you know, gave up a couple home runs and, and that was all she wrote there and against good teams. And that's when you get to the postseason, that's what you're seeing is, is good teams. Um, if Rocker and Leiter aren't the versions of themselves we saw earlier this season, uh, they're still, they've still been quite good on balance, but um, you know, it seems like one of them gets got a little bit every weekend and that does make them a little bit more susceptible to something like this happening. 
Yeah, and like I didn't even feel like Rocker got got this weekend. Like in in I think he pitched worse a week ago against Alabama and won. Um, but it's just like, yeah, if, if you get into a super regional, there are gonna be teams that can match up with you like that. Not a ton of teams necessarily, like uh there aren't that many Doug Nikhazy's running around. But if you look at, you know, the the other teams in the top 16, um you know, or, or potential hosts or whatever, you know, most of the teams in the top 25 have, you know, that kind of pitcher at the front of the rotation. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Arizona doesn't, maybe TCU doesn't, but there are a lot of them that do. And uh, that's just going to make things difficult. Or if they don't have it in, in the case of an Arizona, especially like they just have plenty of offense and, uh, you know, if they can just steal a win, you know, they're going to play comfortably on Sunday in some sort of ugly fashion. And it's not like Vanderbilt's offense is bad. They went out and they scored a bunch of runs on Ole Miss, but it's, uh, I don't think that's the game that they really want to be playing. And, you know, I, I, I was impressed, you know, again, with what Carter Young does offensively. It's, it's fun to watch him hit. Uh, he hit a couple home runs this weekend and, Isaiah Thomas looks looks like he's back to where he was early in the season. And they, they have guys offensively. It's just they really need, you know, it's, it's the story. It's been all year with Vanderbilt. They need Rocker and Lighter to carry them. They will go as far as the two, those two guys can do that. And, uh, you know, maybe they carry them to Omaha. Maybe they carry them to a national title. Like, they are capable of doing that. But is that going to happen? Like, right now, having watched them play for the last five weeks, I, it's hard to feel like this is a team that's uh, that's going to go on some some sort of run in June and, and and run off a second straight national championship. But I know it's in there because you know we we saw it early this year. I know how good Lighter and Rocker are. I know how good the offense is. It can be done. Um, so they're still number two in the country in our top twenty-five. We didn't move them off of two. Some of that, frankly, is because Notre Dame and Texas both happened to not play this weekend and Mississippi State lost and Tennessee lost. And so we just kind of had to look around after Arkansas and say, what do we do now? And, uh, you know, Vanderbilt has what it has in terms of its its overall resume. Uh, and so that's that's why they're there. But uh, I, you know, previously I've talked about it as Arkansas and Vanderbilt and then everyone else. And now it seems like it's Arkansas and Vanderbilt, and then everyone else. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can certainly see that. Um, you know, you're right that, you know, we could see, we could see Vanderbilt, you know, really make a run in, in, in the postseason, kind of flip a switch. But, um, you know, it, it just feels like a different team the last four or five weeks, or six, maybe it's six. I don't, but, you know, it, it does feel like it's a little bit of a, a different team there. And, um, you know, they'll get an opportunity to kind of. To, to flip that metaphorical switch in the postseason, we see teams do it all the time, and, and it's definitely it's definitely in there. I, uh, quick little random thing here. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but have you noticed that Justin Bench has 20 hit by pitches this year for Ole Miss? I, I think that we actually briefly mentioned that on Thursday. It's it's remarkable though. It's worth mentioning every time one of us looks at, at an Ole Miss stat page. What's interesting about that is like we see all the time. Like it's not uncommon in college baseball for you know the best guys on, on you know on teams like this to have more walks and strikeouts like that's a fairly common thing you know Jacob Gonzalez for example is doing it this year for Ole Miss um 
What is less common, I have to assume, is having as many hit by pitches as strikeouts. Now, Bench is not quite there. He struck out 21 times, he's been hit by a pitch 20 times. It seems unlikely, especially as he goes through an SEC tournament and then the postseason, that he would be able to have more hit by pitches than strikeouts. But he's made it through almost an entire regular season with that almost being the case. And I, I just can't imagine it's I guess it probably has, but it's hard to imagine it having happened where somebody's had more hit by pitches and strikeouts in a season. That just, I mean, we've had seasons where um, players got hit by like 30 pitches or something like that. I mean, Purdue had, I forget the name, but Purdue had a leadoff hitter, not Harry Shipley, but anyway, um, who got hit by 30 some odd pitches. Buffalo had a guy before they ended their program that had 30 something hit by pitches. So maybe it's, maybe I'm not giving it enough credit for having happened, but it would be, I assume exceedingly rare. It, uh, it's a weird, weird thing. He, uh, he is pretty impressive on base skills because he keeps getting hit by the pitch. Uh, but it's, uh, I, that, that offense just overall, very impressive on base skills. I, I feel like, and, and they, they keep, they keep the lineup moving without Elko. They don't have like massive, massive stars. Like Justin Bench is having a really, really good season. I don't want to take anything away from what he's doing, but you know, he's not, you know, I don't know that he's, you know, the, the big time star, uh, at least in a, you know, all SEC performer kind of way, like first team all SEC performer kind of way. Uh, you know, McCants is having a really nice season. Gonzalez is having a really nice season Two Two freshmen stepping into the lineup, making, making a, an impact really quickly. Peyton Chatagnier is supposed to be that kind of player, but he's slumping right now. And, um, you know, so they don't, they don't necessarily have the, these big time guys. Uh, what they have though, is just this really deep lineup that, uh, that makes life difficult for, for pitchers. And we see it time. And again, there are a bunch of beer showers going on in, uh, in, in Swayze. And it's no surprise they you know, they, they hit a lot of home runs there, but they, uh, they, they just keep going with, uh, even with a hobbled Tim Elko. And you know, I, I can't say enough about the way Ole Miss has responded to losing Elko and Hogland to injury and, you know, just keeping on, keeping on and, and finding a way to get off the mat this week and win a series that it absolutely had to, to, uh, to go out and host a regional. 2017 Purdue's Evan Wharton, 30 hit by pitches, 29 strikeouts. So my, my hunch was there, correct there that he was, he was a guy. It's uh, something to shoot for if you're. We call uh, that closing the loop in the business. <laughs> something to shoot for there, for Gavin Graham. Uh, all right, Joe. Let's uh, let's flip over to the ACC. We talked about uh, this conference briefly there uh, in relation to hosts, but there was still plenty of other things that happened in the conference. Let's just run through some headlines and then take it take it where it takes us. Uh, top line is that Notre Dame did not play this weekend because of their finals break but they stayed winning anyway. Notre Dame wins the ACC for the first time since joining the conference, wins their first regular season conference title of any kind since 2006. That happened back when they were in the Big East. Uh, the Ome Irish, they, uh, they've, they've gone out and they've won themselves an ACC title. And as, uh, as impressed by that as I am, like I, or as much, as, I, as much confidence as I had in Notre Dame coming into the season, I did not see ACC champion Notre Dame coming. We would have ranked them in the top 25 then. Instead, I, I just get to call them uh, my Omaha sleeper and, and, and make jokes about the Omaha Irish that aren't even jokes anymore. Like this team is just legit really, really good. Uh, Virginia threw a no-hitter against Wake Forest on Friday night. Andrew Abbott threw 7.1 innings of that. 
struck out 16. Uh, the bullpen finished it off. Virginia then finished off a sweep of Wake, and the Hoos are looking more and more like uh, they're going to finish the job and, and to get out of the hole and get to regionals. NC State, speaking out of digging out of holes and getting to regionals, is also like they're done. They're they're there. I think they swept Pitt this weekend. They're 17 and 13 in the ACC. Uh, they're back into the top 25. The the Packer are looking great. Uh, Florida State won a series against Clemson. The Tigers are in some serious trouble right now. I think uh, Louisville got swept by North Carolina. The Tar Heels are now looking really good. Uh, in terms of, of making regionals, the Cardinals, I, Joe, you mentioned, are they a bubble team? Like, I don't think we're there yet. Um, but I'm just like overall concerned about them. They hadn't been swept in a decade and now they've been swept twice in three weeks. Uh, something's something is, is very much needs to get corrected there, uh, before much longer. And Miami beat Georgia tech, uh, Georgia tech still though controls the, the division, uh, but Miami now goes to Louisville, I think, with a chance to, to win the division this weekend. And uh, what else do we got here? Um, Virginia Tech now uh, losing a series to Duke. Uh, and the Hokies all of a sudden are, are playing themselves back to the bubble after looking so good early this season. Uh, so to me, those are those are the headlines. I guess also notable Wake Forest and BC, I believe, have been eliminated from ACC tournament contention uh, going into this weekend. So all anyone is playing for this weekend is seeding within the ACC tournament. And considering the hosting situation, there's nothing to play for there either. So uh, kind of a weekend of dead rubbers uh, for uh, for the ACC. But uh, that's what we got coming up. And that's why we're talking about them this weekend as opposed to uh, – uh, coming up here in in either our preview podcast or, or wrapping up next week. Yeah, and like kind of a, a yes, it's like a yes and no thing because I'm I'm with you. Like it's you know you got a lot of teams here that are probably you know just off the bubble on the good side, um, but it's also a weekend where you know some of these teams that have like if if if, if Louisville were to stub their toe again, now we're talking about them as a bubble team. If Virginia Tech loses a series, like they're probably edging toward the wrong side of the bubble there. Um, it's weird because we, we've, we've, because of this season, the schedule being different, you know, with 36 ACC games in a, in a full season, not every team's going to get that many, but, you know, we're, we're in a place where it, we've been through our, our heuristics have been thrown off here where you're used to seeing 30 games. So like, I just know in my head, like I'm sure you do as well, you start to go, okay, 15 and 15, you're good. 14 and 16, you're starting to get a little nervous. 13 and 17 in the SEC can get you, maybe not so much the ACC. Anything above 500 in conference, you're good. This year, I don't know. We'll see. Um, 36 is a different number. Certainly still, if you're 18, 18, you know, if you're above water, you're probably 18 is 100% going to get it done. The question is, would 17, uh, assuming you played all 36, and most ACC teams are not going to get their full complement in. Yeah, they, they have been, a, the, among the major conferences, they have been the one that has been most affected by COVID cancellations and, and the like. So yeah, they're, they're, they're all over the map in terms of the number of games they're going to get. So uh, that, so that'll be interesting this weekend. I think, I don't think anything gets decided this weekend, which is the point you're making where, you know, barring something really strange. Um, I don't think anything really gets decided, but I do think it does set the stage for us to look at it going into the ACC tournament. And I think we'll be able to pretty clearly see what these teams are going to need to do to feel comfortable for the NCAA tournament. Although I say that and, who knows? Like if, if the committee really does decide that RPI is a big factor, 
um, okay, Louisville's probably in trouble. Clemson may be in trouble, you know, for that matter. Yeah, like Clemson's I- actually okay. They're still the top 50. I don't know. The thing about RPI is, like we've talked about this before, you got to get to 64. And because there are so many teams within the top, you know, however many of RPI you're looking at that are either going to get the auto bid or failing that are not going to make the tournament. Um, you know, we, it, 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 the ACC is actually like, it looks like it's in a really bad spot because they're like on track to get nothing but three seeds. If you take RPI really literally, but um, you know, Wright state is still sitting here at 29. Like I, I don't think that considering that they, went one in seven in non-conference play that that's happening if they don't win the horizon league like indiana state has backed up to the bubble liberty is uh you know top 35 um you know vcu's hanging out at 36 but if they don't win the a10 tournament like that means they took two bad uh rpi losses to get there ditto northeastern and the caa um you know campbell has edged ahead of upstate in the big South. Uh, and that's just kind of a mess now. Um, you know, is UConn a, a viable at-large candidate at 25 and 16, nine and four in the big East? Like, I don't know. Um, you know, so all of a sudden these ACC teams who are not going to back up much in terms of RPI, yeah, you got to get to 64. Um, so I, I don't think that a lot of them, I just would find it really hard for the committee to look at their RPIs and say, well, this ain't getting it done, you know, and, and still get to 64 teams that they were comfortable with. You know, who's really kicking themselves has to be Miami sitting there with an RPI that's pushing the top 20. Like they've had some just really confounding series where they, you know, uh, get, they lose a series to Boston college, lose a series to UNC and they got swept by Pitt at one point. Like they really wouldn't have had to change very much about, maybe just a couple of wins here. And, and they're probably one of the 20 teams he gets called, honestly, with an RPI like that. Um, certainly uh, they would have been more in the conversation. Like they're really, you know, we've talked about a couple of teams here in the ACC, like Georgia tech has a weird resume. Miami's also a weird one because they're pretty close to 500 in the ACC. And yet, you know, their RPI is only trailing Notre Dame right now. Yeah. Miami got caught here because they were what 15 and 14 uh, on Friday. They, they go out and they win this series against Georgia Tech. You're right, though. If they just don't lose to BC, uh, like just give them one win off of that. Like you wonder, is that enough then to have gotten themselves included in the 20 and now sitting at 21 in RPI, like um, they would have a very real chance, I would think, at hosting. And instead, Miami is uh, like I, they've just been an afterthought for so long in the ACC that like you there was a lot of, of push to, you know, could Florida state host. And like, part of that's they swept Miami, but like Miami's the one sitting out here with the series win against Florida. They have the ACC's best uh, non-conference result. And it's not even close. Like the, all, part of the ACC's problem this year is what they did to themselves in the schedule, but nobody told them to go out and not play very well in non-conference games. Nobody told Louisville to lose a home game to Western Illinois and to schedule Bellarmine and Western Illinois as your only uh, non-conference um, weekend series. Nobody told Georgia Tech to go lose to Kennesaw State. Uh, you know, there's just been too much of that around the ACC this year. And you know, some of it is that teams didn't live up to maybe what they thought they would be. Like Florida State's series win against Troy uh, 
probably ought to have more weight than it does. The Trojans just have never really gotten it all together this season and are a mediocre Sunbelt team as a result. So that's not doing anything for anyone, but like that could have been a bit better. Uh, but, you know, basically outside of Clemson playing South Carolina and Miami playing Florida on the weekend, like they do every year, I just didn't see a whole lot of inspired scheduling from the ACC. Uh, you know, BC tried, <laughs> they, they, they went out and added, added Auburn uh, that wound up not mattering for a whole number of reasons. And, you know, UNC, I'll also give credit for trying. They had Kentucky on the schedule until the Wildcats had COVID issues, but nobody else I feel like really tried much. And I get it. You were playing 12 uh, conference weekends. Like why would you ever need to, to play a premium non-conference schedule? But, you know, they're also like, this was on the table and this came to pass. Yeah. I think it's also like, this maybe is a discussion for, the off season when we start to look back at the totality of, of 2021. But I also think we're, we're going to see with scheduling that there was just a lot of, you know, this as well as I do, that there was just a, so much uncertainty coming into the season that I think teams didn't know what to do with their schedules. And, you know, there are, there were probably in some cases, I don't know in any of these cases, but in some cases there were limitations on who they can schedule, what they could schedule, the days they could schedule it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but I think what we're going to see is that, there are, there are going to be cases of where some aggressive scheduling and fortune favoring the bold in terms of scheduling. When I think there were a lot of teams that went into the season, whether it was forced upon them by administrations, you know, cost-saving measures, COVID safety measures, whatever the reasoning was, I think some teams had schedules that were a little bit lackluster forced on them. And then others, I think, were just kind of like, well, I don't want to get I'm going to schedule safe because what I don't want to have happen is I schedule something and then my conference or what have you tells me I can't play that. And now I'm kind of caught out. So that'll be, I think that'll be interesting to look at if in hindsight, we'll never know all the reasons, you know, unless we sit here and spend all of our time doing FOIA requests, but you know, we're, we're never going to know the reasonings behind some of the scheduling, but I have to think some of it was kind of looking for safety and scheduling. And I think those teams might end up getting bitten in the end. And I do know one ACC team like really was trying. <laughs> like I, I know of one ACC team that uh, was at least in talks slash had preliminary agreements with like two other power conference teams. And uh, for various reasons, like those fell through for opening weekend. So, I mean, it's not all within their control, but I guess, you know, I, I said last week about a couple teams that if they missed the NCAA tournament, I, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for them. If you, if you lose all these games, uh, like if you had the opportunity and you just, you whiffed on it, uh, I guess that's kind of where I'm at with a lot of the ACC here. Like, you know, like you, you, you kind of did this to yourself and I don't even necessarily mean with the 36 game conference schedule though that obviously is a, is a part of it. Uh, but you know, there, there's a lot that happened like that, that it's just too simple, too easy to blame that there's a lot more going on with why the ACC is in the predicament that it's in uh, beyond that. Uh, but that's a, like, like you said, we can, we can dive deeper on that later. If, uh, if we so choose when it's, it's easier to do the full autopsy. Uh, let's go quickly here to conference USA. We already kind of discussed this a little bit, so I don't, I don't know how much more you got uh, Mr. Conference USA, but Charlotte won the the regular season title for the first time in program history. Charlotte is actually a charter member of Conference USA, which I forget uh, because they left and 
only returned in like 2014 or 15. Uh, they've won, they won Metro titles. They won A10 titles. They had never won a CUSA title though until, until this weekend. They get it done despite only splitting at Rice. And then Louisiana Tech wins the West as a result of their series win against UTSA and Southern Misses series split at FAU. So neither one of those teams have a whole lot of history of winning uh, CUSA titles by any means. Louisiana Tech hadn't won even a division title. I think you have to go back to the 80s for them. Uh, so two, two teams breaking through uh, this year in, in Charlotte and La Tech. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, obviously, a big year for Conference USA. I'll be interested, and I, I've heard this kind of talking to talking to coaches, not not even just in Conference USA, but just in general about how. Okay, so what's what's next? Like, clearly, some things broke right for Conference USA this year. You had a couple of teams, in particular, that were older. You know, whether it's just more mature, more physical, whatever. Uh, that were able to really capitalize on getting everybody back and they were ready to compete at a really high level. And here it is. I'm, I'm thinking specifically Old Dominion Law Tech, I think fit that archetype. Um, and then, you know, they had some beneficial things like Louisiana Tech did, speaking of scheduling, did a good job scheduling and, and picked off some SEC foes. That really kind of helped vault them early as a team that was up there in the RPI. And we started looking at them early on as, hey, this is a team that could could host, you know, is going to stick around the RPI. And then it, it just kind of built from there. Um, but, the, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. How do you capitalize on this? Because it, it's not going to be like this every year, but can it be a little more like the version of Conference USA that we saw um, previous to the last round of realignment and a little less like the one the last couple of years where we started to look around and wonder if the eventuality of Conference USA is a one-bid league um, and maybe a two-bid league if, if things are going pretty well. That felt a little like the cap. Um, so maybe this is a little bit of a, a, a readjustment from that period, but, but we'll have to see. I, I, I wish the scheduling in, in this conference was a little bit different this year, just because it, it would have been nice to get more cross-pollination with those four teams. Right now, they just kind of played the other teams in their, in their division. LaTeX and Old Dominion are going to play a two-gamer this weekend, but, you know, the conference was a bracket's already set. You know, I don't think any result here is going to really fundamentally change much of anything. I mean, I guess Old Dominion could make a better case to be that traveling one seed. So I guess that is on the table here, but I, I really wish we would have seen a little more cross pollination there because what you ended up with, and we talked about this before is that, you know, the, the two top teams in each division really just kind of lost games against each other and they mostly beat everybody else. Uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, struggle outside of that. There were some splits here and there, but there really wasn't, um, you know, any sort of big trip ups for those teams. That's why they are, uh, where they are. The, the one wild card, of course, is FAU. FAU has started to kind of work its way back into the discussion. They're still a little bit far away. They've got a game against Miami in the midweek, assuming that game happens, although it's late spring in South Florida. So, you know, who knows what the weather will bring, but that could help them. Maybe they schedule something late. John McCormick is not, uh, is, is certainly not a coach who is shy about adding games into schedules if he feels like he needs a little bit extra to, uh, to get that done. But um, really fascinating year in CUSA. Uh, you mentioned Charlotte being a charter member here. Uh, shout out to some of the old CUSA teams that you wouldn't have remembered being in CUSA. I, you know, St. Louis and 
Cincinnati <laughs> specifically kind of weird. I would remember Cincinnati because, you know, I mean, Cincinnati, Louisville, those are Metro greats. That's right. Yeah, I was not raised on the Metro Conference, so I can't really speak. I, neither, neither was I, but you know, I, I respect its history. That's right. Uh, you know, TCU conference, they were like the first, uh, you know, real conference. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. You know, one of the first conference they baseball powers, you know, that was when, when uh, TCU really got going, uh, they first started to, to, to move a little bit under Jim Schlossnagel. They were members of, of conference USA. They really made hay in the mountain West before eventually going to the big 12, but they did start off in, in CUSA. So there was, there was, there was that. Um, so yeah, I, you know, uh, it, it should be a good conference USA tournament. I think that'll give us a little bit of clarity, but I, I, really just kind of think that we're not going to get a lot of separation with these four teams. And that makes the committee's job hard on which ones to host, because we're talking about razor thin margins between all these different teams. And we'll just kind of have to see how it shakes out. You mentioned FAU, which is an interesting spot. They're 66 in RPI. They're 18 and 14 in CUSA, 29 and 23 overall. Uh, They have a real chance to play themselves to the bubble. I don't think they're like truly on the bubble yet though. I would not be surprised if I included them in my next four out uh, in this week's projected field, but they need something. They're they're like right now, I don't want to say it's um, win the tournament or bust because they do have that game against Miami and that will help from an RPI standpoint, win or lose, obviously winning helps more. Uh, and then, you know, because USA is stronger this year, that means more opportunities uh, to, to boost your resume in the in the tournament but right now they're you know i mean maybe they don't need to win the thing but they need to like probably play for the title uh but they're gonna they're under 56 games right now they're they're at 52 southern miss coming off of that split has dropped to 28 in rpi that's not going to get it done if they want to host they're under in terms of uh of games they're they're also at 52 um they don't have a midweek game they're done uh, so my point here, though, is that FAU has three games to spare, and both of these teams need the RPI help. I wish they were staying in Boca to play three times this weekend, or FAU was was like joining USM on the way back to Hattiesburg, and they're going to play three times there before they went to Ruston, or that they were going to Ruston and saying to LaTeX and ODU, "Hey, we're here early. Like, let's play a CUSA tournament before we play the CUSA tournament." Um, but Scott Barry has come out and said that USM is done. They're not adding games. And, uh, you know, I don't know everything that goes into that. Um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot that goes into that this year to be sure, but both of those teams really could use it. Like Southern Miss is not a host right now. And, uh, they're, they're going to need to do some work and rust in if they want to get there. So, uh, I would like to see them do it this weekend against FAU because it was a fun series. Like, let's just see some more of it. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's go to a conference that is not wrapped up yet, and that is the Big Ten. Um, as we've talked about, the, uh, the top contenders here are all playing each other down the stretch. That started this weekend as Indiana went to Michigan and the Blue come away with a series win. This was the best pitching team in the Big Ten in, in Indiana. They came into the series at least uh, – leading the Big Ten in ERA. I haven't looked to see if they still do. Uh, but they came into it leading the Big Ten in ERA, and Michigan had the highest scoring offense coming into the series. And ultimately, it was the bats that won out. Uh, Michigan really played this series the way they wanted to play it. Uh, their, their offense was just better than Indiana's pitching this weekend, and Michigan comes away with the series win. 
they're back into the top 25. They were only gone for a few weeks, but they're back. And they're actually not in first place in the, in the big 10. Nebraska holds the edge uh, in part because they didn't play the third game of their series this weekend. Um, have not seen if there's any hope that they might make that up there. I think the big 10 is really trying to make sure all three of those teams uh, in Maryland, if it comes to it, um, play as close to the 44 games as they can uh, because they, you would not want the the big 10 title and therefore the auto bid decided by which team played 43 games and which team played 44. So uh, we'll, we'll see on that. But anyway, uh, Michigan comes away with a big series win here. Uh, everyone is still very much in it as uh, again, they, they all, they all play each other over the final two weekends here, but I, I was impressed that, that Michigan was able to, to assert itself and, and play its game this weekend against what is a really good IU pitching staff. Yeah, and you, you start to look at this Michigan team and, and you start to really see a little bit of a blueprint and a little bit of a path forward for this. this I think this really is the type of team, and it's one of the reasons why we have them ranked and we don't have other Big Ten teams ranked. I think we, we can start to project a little bit on this team that you know, this is the type of team that really could make a run here because I, you know, the, the offense has some, some real quality and depth to it when you, when you talk about some of the guys we talked about before you know, Sims and, and Molfetta, the transfers, but, you know, Tito Flores and, and Clark Elliott and Jimmy Obertop and, and, and another transfer and Griffin Mazur, but then, you know, Ted Burton and Jordan Rogers. And so there, there really is kind of some, some depth here in this lineup. Um, what they may, what they may be lacking, you know, somebody who's like the clear cut big 10 player of the year type guy. Uh, they do have some depth there. And then you start to look at the pitching staff and, you know, we can sit here and nitpick and say that, you know, this version of Steve Stephen Hadger has not been the best version of it or the version of it that maybe we were, we were hoping it would be, but that really would be nitpicking because he's had a really nice year and you, know, you really like Cameron Weston. And then you have to like what Jacob dinner did yesterday against Indiana and the start he gave them. And plus all the bullpen guys they have out there. Um, it's, it's becoming increasingly easy to see this being a Michigan team that is starting to maybe come together a little bit and, and could make a run. They, they haven't been, as consistent this season as I think uh, we thought maybe they could be, they've, they've certainly had some moments where they mostly with series splits. They had a lot of those Monday games early. Yeah, in the they clearly like don't they were, have the pitching for four games is what I would say. Yeah. They had a lot of series early this week, early this season where we on Sunday, we'd rank them again and then they'd go out on Monday and lose. And then we'd be in the same position the next, the next weekend. But I, I say all that to say, this is a team, if it stays on schedule, like there's definitely something there. Like it feels like a team that's coming together a little bit. Um, a lot of it will depend on where they end up, but uh, this is certainly a team that could win a regional. It, it, it feels a lot like that. Yeah. I, uh, if I was Michigan, um, I'd feel very good about where, where they've played their, their way to this offense is clicking. Uh, the, you know, we talked about how the transfers have, have what they've been able to accomplish and, They've, you know, they they've got to feel really good about where the pitching staff is right now too. I mean, I, this is they've got it all left to play for in front of them over the next two weeks, and I, I think that first of all, that's all you can ask for, and, and then second of all, I think they, you know, they've they've got to feel good about their chances. Uh, they've got a lot of experience. A lot of these players played on the the 2019 team. They know what it takes to win down the stretch in, in must win games, and. Yeah, they maybe don't have the the stars of that team anymore, uh, but they've uh, you know that that experience is going to help them. It's an older team as well because 
their transfers were grad transfers. So even, even though, you know, Sims and Mofetta and Mazer, they weren't there, they've played a lot of college baseball. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I think that's really going to help them, especially when we're talking about a Nebraska team or a Maryland team that has, you know, no experience of, of being in this kind of situation, really. Um, you know, Nebraska a little more than Maryland, but those two teams, as, as they try and chase it down the stretch, uh, they're, it, it's, it's just all fresh for them. And maybe that helps them because maybe they don't realize, you know, uh, maybe some of that naive youthful youthfulness will, will help, but, uh, you know, you also have the chance of, of tightening up down the stretch if you're, you're not as comfortable in those big moments. And, and I think Michigan is, is going to be plenty comfortable in them. And they certainly looked plenty comfortable uh, in them this weekend. So I like Michigan going forward. I think I use a really good team. We almost kept them in the rankings last, uh, last night. They just kind of got squeezed a little bit. Um, I, I think they're good. It's unfortunate that one of those two teams is probably going to go to South Bend as the two seed because, you know, I, I think both IU and, and Michigan have, have the capability of, of doing something in regionals. And obviously I, I feel like if they come up against the Oma Irish, they're, they're going to, they're going to fall a little bit short, but I do genuinely think that they could give Notre Dame, you know, a, a pretty significant test, either one of these teams. Uh, and I, I don't know which one to expect to go to South Bend. I just know that one of them is, is probably headed that way. What you're saying is if you go to a regional against Notre Dame, it's over for you. Is what you're saying. Well, I mean, I've been saying that for like, you know, it's, it's like Arkansas, you're not winning in Fayetteville and then South Bend, you're not winning there. And anyone else I'm willing to talk about like, Oh, maybe you could win, but like those two teams, like I, I'm just, yeah, I, I already have them penciled in, you know, into, or, or, or inked in sharpied in. There it is. I they're sharpied, you know, yeah. that's where I'm at. You know, I've, 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 uh, I've lamented not having a big 10 tournament here. And I, I stand by that because of a team like Rutgers who, has played well, has never been. It would be kind of cool for them to get to go. Um, Northwestern, I was saying that about earlier this season, they've fallen off and, and probably just wouldn't have gotten there regardless. Um, so like for, for Rutgers, that kind of stick, because Rutgers has also fallen out of a position where they, they're really in at large consideration now. So the thing about it is though, like I, I, I can lament that for a good reason, but also it's, it's shaping up to be a conference doesn't really need it. I mean, you've got the teams that are in the mix and, they're going to play their the way. Schedule was done perfectly. They did a lot of work to get to this specific schedule, but the fact that they're going into it and the top four teams in the standings as we go into the final two weeks are like exclusively playing each other over the final two weeks, like they could not have asked for anything better in the Big Ten. Yeah, I will look forward to the return of the Big Ten tournament, but for this year, it really has played out to where they don't. They certainly don't need it. I've I've been at big tournaments before that did not feel consequential, and I think this would have been one of them had they had it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is that like we get to see them all play each other in a different year in the Big Ten. We, I, I guarantee you, all four of these teams would not have played each other. Like that's just the way the Big Ten schedule works normally. So mm-hmm. uh, if you if you like. Yes, in a 44-game Big Ten schedule, like, we don't need it partially just because they play 44 games. Like, how many more times do we need to see them play each other? Uh, but if you subtract 20 of those games, like, they normally would have, like, yeah, I would have I would have needed to see a, a tournament because, you know, Nebraska would have played Indiana or something like that. And we just would have been left to wonder, like, war, was the Big Ten regular season champion the Big Ten regular season champion because of who they didn't play as much as who they played? All that is to say, uh, Big Ten, expand your schedule going forward. I've mentioned this before. 
Let's let's get some divisions. Let's expand the schedule going forward. I mean, but anyway, play. I mean, play, if you have to go to Green, like Michigan State plays in Greenville every year. If you have to go to Greenville and do like pods, like maybe that's a path forward for them to get to closer to thirty conference games. You know, they, I mean, they I know that's been talked about. <clears throat> They've talked about everything in the Big Ten previously in terms of schedules. Another place where I want to come back in the summer and do an autopsy, like. All right, so like you saw this version of the schedule. What did you like? What you didn't like? Is there anything to keep going forward now? Because for me, uh, those pods have been great, but like you know, what what do people actually dealing with them think? And you know, is that is neutral site early early on something they want to explore going forward? Previously, they there has not been enough interest to uh, to push it forward, but uh, I think it's positive. But you know, I, I see the downsides too. All righty, Joe, um, that just about does it. We, uh, we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, there's a lot still to be covered. We'll get to the Pac-12 uh, this coming podcast on Thursday, the, the preview in week 14. I know that's one area we didn't really get to. Uh, you know, Stanford's loss to Cal was the most significant thing, but they play Oregon this weekend, and uh, I guarantee you we will talk about that series on Thursday, and uh, we can get down to uh, what all of it means for the Pac-12 title, uh, which is uh, an intriguing race to watch itself over the final two weeks here. Uh, so yeah, with uh, with me mentioning that Thursday podcast, remember you're to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app. If you are not already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts. We come at you uh, twice a week with this uh, this recap on Monday. And then the weekend preview show on Thursday, where we talk about the uh, get, just get you ready for, uh, for for the games. I say all that, and you know, I'm not entirely sure what our our postseason schedule will look like. We gotta we gotta sort that out, Joe. Uh, but that's all the more reason to subscribe, so that you know the the latest episode just comes straight into your phone. There, you don't have to think about did the Baseball America College podcast drop a new episode today or not. You just be able to open your uh, open your app and find out. So. Uh, make sure you do that here as we hit the uh, the final stretch run. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Get plenty of extra analysis there. And you can find all of the, the written analysis over on the website at baseballamerica.com. Plenty to read there. Joe this weekend was at uh, North Carolina Central, their final home games uh, in uh, in program history before they get eliminated after the season. Uh, so you can read about how they won the uh, the MEX South division for the first time in program history, and they're they're now trying to complete a storybook final season. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, uh, to to check that one out. In addition to all of the the other content, uh, much of it regularly scheduled at baseballamerica.com. We will be back here on Thursday to preview Week 14 for a lot of teams. That's the final regular season. Week for other teams, it's the penultimate regular season week, and for still other teams, it is uh, it's conference tournament time. So we'll dive into that uh, in as as much as we can, as in as much depth as we can there on Thursday. So until then, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting this edition of the Baseball America College Podcast, as they always do. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.